Well, let's welcome you back to This Week in the Association. I'm Rob Panier, joined once again by my good buddy, Kevin Luco. And this week, we are honored to welcome the game day stadium announcer for the Sioux Falls Canaries, Randy Preston. Randy, thanks for joining us this week. Happy to be on the line with you guys. You know, I have to say, I think I announced that wrong. I, I think I should have come in and been like, now filling in tonight, Randy Preston. I, mean, I should have come, done like a PA announcement of you. Oh, that would work too. You know, we, uh, us PA announcers, we're good at faking stuff as long as we go. <laughs> well, Randy, let's just first of all talk about interesting job that you have with the team. How do you get into public address announcing? Uh, well, it's a little bit of a long story, but I'll try to make it short. Um, and I know you gentlemen are both hockey fans. That's where I got my start. My son was a hockey player, and when he was about five or six, uh, you know, as a hockey parent, you volunteer to do things. And I believe I was probably the only person, the only parent that didn't mind hearing their own voice over the public address system at the hockey rink. So I uh, became the de facto public address announcer for youth hockey in Sioux Falls. And I still do a little bit with youth hockey here as well. But I uh, uh, was working some youth games at the old Sioux Falls Arena where the Stampede used to play. And the Stampede owner had come in one day while I was working and listened. And he said, hey, you've got a great voice. It sounds great over this PA system. You could be the public address announcer for the Stampede. And I said, sign me up. And he said, well, you know, we've already got a guy, but maybe you could be the backup guy. Sure, no problem. Let's get her all taken care of. Fast forward six weeks, first round of the playoffs, their public address announcer is sick, and I get called in for my first game ever to do first-round playoffs for the Stampede. And uh, at that point, evidently they liked what I did. At that point, uh, the Stampede and the Canaries both had shared the same ownership group, and I became the backup announcer for the Stampede and for the Canaries that year. And uh, fast forward to early August, the PA announcer for the Canaries left town, uh, got uh, lost his day job, and ended up leaving town, and I took over, and I've been doing it ever since. Well, that's pretty impressive. And, and had you kind of ever envisioned that this is what you would want to do with yourself? Well, not really. I mean, I, I was a, uh, you know, uh, an, an English major in college. I was an IT manager by profession. And uh, so, you know, I had... Just, this was just something I was doing as a hobby, and uh, you know it's still you know certainly not a full time gig, but it's uh, it's something that I really enjoy doing. And I currently between the Sioux Falls Stampede and the Sioux Falls Canaries, uh, eighty plus nights a year, you can hear my voice someplace in Sioux Falls announcing sports. Before you got on board with the Canaries, did, were you uh, someone that would catch ball games um, from time to time? Prior to working for the Canaries, I think I had been to maybe four ball games out there at the ballpark. Um, uh, baseball just really wasn't my thing. Uh, even though I grew up with baseball, I played baseball in high school. Um, but uh, hockey was really my sport. And, uh, you know, in terms of what I really have a passion for, hockey and baseball are really my two sports. Because I know there was uh, Dan Christofferson was a legendary voice at the ballpark out there, and I imagine you know it's those are some pretty big shoes to fill. For I know you had a couple people between Dan and then now you, but that's um yes. Dan kind of raised the bar pretty high, but uh, you know I have to say you're you're doing a heck of a job out there. Well, thank you. At least I you know I, I certainly give it a shot. Um, I, I mean, I know Dan, I, I, you know, before he passed away, I knew him pretty well, um, had done, done some things on the radio for my, uh, other work that I was doing and, uh, had met Dan and a couple of the other, uh, jocks in Sioux Falls and had worked with him. Uh, the gentleman who was working for the Canaries and the Stampede at the time when I was, uh, got, got involved was Alex Heinert, who is now, uh, one of the prime, uh, announcers with Midco Sports. I believe he lives up in Grand Forks and works for the, uh, for the Fighting Hawks up there now. Oh wow! You know, I'm I'm wondering is there kind of an a difference in the way that you announce between hockey and baseball? Because baseball, it seems like you're just introducing guys as they're coming up to the plate or whatever. But in hockey, a lot of times you're uh, goal by so and so kind of thing. So is it? Do you approach the way that you're brought to, you're announcing things differently between the two sports? 
Yes, significantly differently. Um, there, there you go, two ad adjectives at the same time. Uh, <laughs> hey, we're all about I'm the king of that. I'm the king of that. Yeah, the curse of being an English, <laughs> the curse of being an English major. That's what it is. Um, yeah, I, I do. Uh, first of all, for the for the stampede for hockey, um, it's almost extremely businesslike. I have I have a very very set script that I work with, um, with the exception of announcing goals and penalties, but you know, I'm working off a script. I have a director in my ear that's telling me uh, when to do the things that I'm doing. And the, it, so, I mean, it's, it's incredibly scripted for, for uh, Stampede Hockey. Not that it's, that's a bad thing. That's just the way it needs to be with a, with a business of that size. Um, for the Canaries, I'm significantly much more on my own. Um, I'm not only doing the game day uh, PA for the, for the Canaries, but I'm also kind of calling all the stuff that's going on for the, for the promotions between the innings. So I'm the person that's on the radio communicating with uh, our entertainment team, working with our video directors upstairs and the, the music people, and just kind of calling the show, if you will. But I also get a lot of chance to be very extemporaneous with the Canaries, a lot of improv, a lot of just weird jokes, little bits that I do every game, much more uh, free with the things I can do and say for the Canaries. I like the little back and forth that you and John Gaskins will have on, on occasion, especially even like after the game, it's kind of neat how you guys get like a little conversation going as everyone's leaving the ballpark. Yeah, that, uh, that's something that just kind of uh, grew organically a couple of years ago uh, during the 2020 season. Um, you know, we were waiting for the ballpark to clear out and we just started talking after the game. And, you know, John, of course, has Harry Canary usually at that point and me just being Randy and being the smart aleck that I am. And, uh, you know, we, we have a good time. Uh, John is incredibly talented at what he does. He's, he's a very, very good entertainer and I really, really enjoy working with him. Anybody ever get kind of a little irritated by something you said when you were announcing them or announcing a moment in a game? Oh, I'm sure. Uh, you know, I've, uh, some of the old, uh, the old diehards probably that, you know, probably want to be there for the baseball game that don't really necessarily appreciate the entertainment side of the business. They're, you know, you get a little bit of that, a little bit of pushback of that every once in a while. But, uh, you know, most of the people that I know that come and talk to me really enjoy some of the little weird things that we do. Um, I mean, I've gotten to the point this year, and I think, Kevin, you were at one of the games when I just kind of randomly started reading off disclaimers prior to the game. Um, just, you know, I was waiting. we were waiting for the umpires to hit the field, and sometimes that can take three or four minutes of, of dead air. And as you're trying to ramp the crowd up for the game, the last thing you need to do is have nothing going on. So I just started reading off, you know, slippery when wet. Uh, one size fits all, and just a list of, I've got about 200 just random disclaimers that I can go through, and, you know, I'll get a few chuckles out of that, and a few people that look at me like, you know, who is this guy, and what is he doing? <laughs> well, if you're interested, we, we probably need some disclaimers for the show, so I mean, come, come up with a few more. <laughs> I probably need a few here. So. We can do that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, kind of looking at the season here for the for, for Sioux Falls, disappointing season for the Canaries. What's that like to kind of get crowd still involved in, in, on some very tough nights where things are not particularly going well for Sioux Falls? It's it's hard. Um, I, I can't I can't deny it. It's hard when the when the team's not doing well. If they're not fired up, if the you know the balls just aren't going the way they need to go to help our team uh, at least be in the game, um, it can be hard to get the crowd involved, but. That's what we do as an entertainment crew. You know, our our job is to really make that ballpark experience a fun one. And from anything that we do with uh, the little promos, the little games that we do, some of the sketches that we might do. Um, you know, we had a a pro wrestling night one night, a WWE night, and we actually hired a professional wrestler locally to wrestle with uh, KG Peep and then the mascot from this uh, late night talk show that is being broadcast here in Sioux Falls. And it was an absolute fun night. We got the crowd into it. And I don't remember how the game went. I just don't remember. But, uh, you know, if you can do little things like that, it really helps the game day experience for the people that are in the ballpark. It seemed like 
I know during my first trip out there was a series that uh, the Canaries got two out of three against the Kansas City Monarchs, and you're thinking, well, hey, you know, the, maybe things are getting ready to turn around, but it just never seemed to get going for the team this year. I, there was a nice highlight in the middle of the year with Jabari Henry getting the home run derby title, but the just the stretch was just horrible, and I really felt bad for you guys because the team was sliding. And you have like a, I think it was like an eleven game homestand towards the end right. of the year with the Canaries way out of it. And I know for you and John, it's it's got to be tough to get to go to the ballpark and put on a happy face and get ready to try to entertain a crowd that's seeing a team that's just playing out the string. Yeah. Well, first of all, an 11-game homestand for an entertainment crew with all the planning and all this prep that goes into it is exhausting. Um, you know, it's not just the three hours or four hours that we're at the ballpark. There's a significant amount of planning and script writing and video editing and just a bunch of stuff, you know, preparing music. And, and man, there's just a laundry list of things that we do going into each game. And, you know, the, an 11-game homestand is tough just in general. But uh, I think we won one game out of that 11, if I remember right. And it was just a tough stretch at the end of the year. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not going to face any blame anywhere, but I think by that time the team had pretty much, you know, knew what their fate was going to be. And, and I, I believe that there was probably some play that just wasn't up to standards and uh, some of the people that had probably just given up. But, you know, that, that's, I think that happens with any team that's, that's down at the bottom of the standings and having a tough season. Um, all that said, though, you know, I, I mean, we had some really, really big highlights, like you said. Jabari winning the home run derby. Um, we had Wyatt Ulrich getting called up by the Padres organization, um, which also <laughs> didn't help our, our team all that much. Um, you know, losing one of our one of our better players to a, a pro contract, but then he ended up coming back toward the end of the season. And uh, I was talking to Wyatt toward the end of the season. He was really struggling with his bat at that point; just really couldn't make the adjustment back into the American Association. So, a lot of struggles. But honestly, um, the guys that I talked to on the last couple nights, um, everybody was in pretty high spirits. They were ready to you know ready to go home, but ready for next season. Uh, and uh, the people that I talked to, a lot of them hopefully be coming back next year. I think that's a really good point you make with Wyatt Ulrich, and I've talked a lot about it on the show with Rob, that there are players that when they go from playing affiliated baseball and then go back to the American Association, it's a different kind of pitching, and for the batters it's a different sort of timing, and it can be... It can be rough for these guys when they are consistently facing guys that are throwing mid-upper 90s and they go back to the association where you're facing a lot more breaking pitches and guys that are maybe topping out at uh, 85, 88 miles an hour. And I imagine for Wyatt that had been pretty tough. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. And uh, the I, I would typically go down after the games and, and talk to Wyatt and a couple of the other guys and just, you know, say hi and, you know, uh, kind of get a feel for how everybody's feeling and everybody's doing. Angela Altavilla was another one that I, I used to spend a lot of time uh, chit-chatting with down in the field. And generally speaking, everybody was in pretty good spirits, even though, you know, they were having a tough season. Um, everybody was in good spirits. Uh, Nick Gata is another one that I would always, uh, always head down and have a chat with and, uh, you know, those are the those are the three guys that I spent probably the most time with during the season, and Jabari as well. But uh, everybody seemed to be in in overall good spirits, even though we were having a tough uh, a tough win loss season. In your role, do you get to have a, much of a bond with the players as a manager or a coach would have? Is there? I mean, you do mention that you do talk to these guys. Is it? Is there a close kinship, or is it kind of more in passing? Well, it's it's probably more in passing, but uh, this this season I took on the role of uh, working with the players and getting their walk-up songs put together, and I became the point person for that. Um, you know, when we had the, the change in the radio booth, and it used to be the radio announcer that would uh, kind of facilitate that, and 
I just ended up taking it over because it needed to be done. And with that, I basically ended up getting everybody's phone number and everybody's email address. And, you know, we still converse to this day with, with a few of the guys. Um, but, you know, it, it's not a, a really deep role or, you know, a deep friendship, I would say. It's, it's mostly in passing, but it's every day in passing. You know, I, I get to the ballpark around 4 in the afternoon. Uh, the guys are out having BP. I'll, stay, I'll you know, step over to the, um, to the dugout, kind of sit on top, chat with the guys that are over there for a little bit, go up, do my work, get my game prepped. And then after the game, go down and hang out with the guys a little bit that are uh, signing autographs. So, I mean, I've, I've gotten to know quite a few of the guys that way. Maybe at some point you could get out of the booth and set up a table right by the dugout like Lee Adams has in St. Paul. I did that a couple times this season. Um, it's a challenge when I'm, when I'm trying to call the show as well. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, I can, I, I've, I've done that, uh, did that once last year. I did that one or two times this season and I had a good time with it, but it's different. And, uh, I, I'm just so much more accustomed to what's going on up in the booth. And, um, I do some of the music as well as the doing, doing the PA work. So I, you know, when I'm not up there, I notice the, the, not the walk-up songs, but kind of some of the in-between play things get pushed off to the side because there's you know, a person that's normally doing that that's not there. So, you know, we, we kind of have our roles and we like what we're doing, but, uh, you know, I'm thinking three or four times a year, I, I love getting down on the, on the top of the dugout or next to the dugout and working the games from down there. And uh, since I did bring him up, let's talk about that uh, kinship that, I, that you have developed with Lee Adams. It started in 2020 when the Saints, because of COVID, were using Sioux Falls for their home field for a while you and um you and lee got to spend some quality time together at the ballpark we sure did and i learned a ton from uh lee and sierra for that matter sierra um the uh entertainment director for the or not the entertainment um i think he's vice president of something now up with the saints but uh you know lee and sierra we spent a lot of time up in the uh, up in the press box working through the game plans and uh when lee was on pa I would be upstairs in the in the press box running sound and using graphics and doing the things like that. Um, we were running a pretty lean staff that summer as well. But you know, Lee and I got to know each other really well, and we still uh, we still communicate all the time. You know, I uh, I send him text messages every once in a while, and we'll talk for a little bit. I pick up the phone and call him. And of course, uh, Kevin, you know, I'm I watch Saints live as much as anybody does, um, and participate in the. Uh, the pick'em contest that they have, and uh, I, I don't know if you or I won that thing this year, but it's got to be one of the two of us, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like you and me and a select few others. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's it's great getting to know these other guys, and and uh, you know, Lee Lee paid me a couple of really nice compliments both up in the Saint Stadium when I was up there a couple times, and uh, down here in Sioux Falls, basically every time that uh, he'd get on the mic, he'd he'd sing my praises and I of course I sing his praises because I think he's a he's a great guy I think he does a wonderful job and I think he's uh you know he is in my mind he is the St. Paul Saints you know he is the sound of the ballpark at the St. Paul Saints and um you know he uh, he spoke the same way to me yeah he spoke the same thing to me he said you're the sound of the ballpark in Sioux Falls so you, you know that's pretty interesting for me Randy because I hadn't really realized uh, how much the PA announcer is involved in many different aspects of games as you're going along here. Because some teams I don't think have as, um, that, as mu that much involvement from the guy calling the game from, from upstairs, as, like you do. It, do. Do you enjoy that aspect of it, or do you kind of envision this more as you were going to be just a person calling who's coming up to bat and taking it from there? Well, when I started, it was me just calling the person coming up to bat and reading the commercials and just kind of making certain that uh, all of that stuff got done. Um, as things evolved over the years and as staff changed and ownership groups changed and uh, just different things in the ballpark changed, my role changed quite a bit. Um, I think it was the season of 2019 when I really started calling the game. Um, in other words, you know, calling the entertainment side of the game just because the people that we had involved at that point um, weren't 
as experienced as I was and didn't have kind of the timing aspects of how everything needs to go. Um, you know, the 2019 season, the 2020 season, um, I was, I helped a lot with writing the scripts for the game day. Uh, last year we hired a game day operations coordinator by, um, that, uh, really kind of took over that position, which is fine. Um, you know, her name is Allie Linder and she had been an inter intern during 2020 and 2021, I think, or, or 19 and 20. And, uh, she did a really nice job of getting the scripts and getting kind of the entertainment um, organized and then handed it over to John to actually execute everything and help, you know, but between Allie, myself and John, we basically planned all the shows for the, for the Canaries for the, for the summertime. And it's something I really, really enjoy doing and, and hope to continue doing in the future. I'd like to think I contributed one thing that I, I taught you one thing this summer, and that was, if you remember, the next time you have a dog day, make sure you have a doorbell sound effect ready to go. Yes. <laughs> well, like it, you also taught barking. me. Yep, you also taught me about green onion brats too, Kevin. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. I forgot about the. I, I did bring those out there this summer, so. They're addicting. Yes, they are. They are really addicting. <laughs> no, we uh, we have we have such a good time out there with the canaries. I, you know, I you almost feel guilty that you're getting paid to do it. Well, almost. Uh, <laughs> but it's uh, it, it's so much fun. And uh, you know, Kevin, you were down at the ballpark a few times this summer. You you saw how much fun I was having there. I know you did. <laughs> It, for me, with, with St. Paul out of the league, I feel like it, you guys are the closest thing I've got to a home ballpark, and I, you guys just do a wonderful job of making me feel at home when I do make my trips out there. So it's been a good thing um, with me and you guys out there, and look forward to definitely doing it again next summer. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, I heard you tell me that you took one of my little uh, prize possessions up to was it Fairbolt where you where you work the yeah. games up there? Yeah, um, I, tweet, I, my, I tweaked it a little bit, but yes, I did. The uh, the infamous uh, man who sings your name over and over from YouTube. Yes, and uh, for those listening, just look it up on YouTube. It is just real classic stuff on. You know, for those that have not been to Sioux Falls Stadium, Dan does, uh, sorry, jeez, sorry, didn't mean it. I'm thinking Dan Christopherson <laughs> yet. Um, I Randy, <laughs> Randy, every game picks out a opposing player and does their name, plays their guy who, who sings his name over and over. They do it for a certain player every game. And if I'm there, I'm just sitting in the other side of the press box just grinning. I, I can't get enough of it, but I did bring it to Faribault and got the got the guys in the press box and loosen up a little bit, and they, they did it a couple times last summer. So I did bring a little bit of football stadium to little Faribault, Minnesota. Well, I did find out uh, as I was kind of uh, stroll, scrolling through his uh, YouTube site, he does have a karaoke version of his uh, his tune now. So with a little bit of tweaking and, time, and timing, I could probably create my own guy who sings your name over and over again for any player. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> Have you uh, ever had a person's name that when like, it's shown to you on the sheet, you're like, there is no way I'm getting this name right? It happens every year. Um, <laughs> and... It happens really more often with hockey than it does with baseball. Yeah, I believe. But, uh, um, I, I I go back to I think it was either 2018 or 2019, which was the the last two seasons of the Texas Airhogs. Oh, when boy. they had the uh, the the uh, Beijing Shogong Eagles. Yes. And half the team was Chinese nationals, and uh, inevitably you never got a pronunciation guide. So I I mean I know I was messing up everybody's names. But, you know, what do you do? You, you do the best you can, and you, can't, you just can't obsess on it, and, and you know, you move on. Um, 
And I've, the, the hockey player that I'm thinking of, we had a, a player on the Stampede from the uh, Clark Cup season, which was 2019. Um, he was a Russian player whose name was Artem Ivan Yushenkov. And the first time I saw that was at a preseason game. He gets called for a penalty, and I'm nowhere near him. I, in, the, in the iceplex where we play our preseason games, I was in a booth up on the top away from the scorer's table, and I look at this player's name, and I look at the pronunciation guide that I was given, and it, they just weren't even close. And so I, I did my best, and he turned around and shook his head a couple times at me. And I finally said, well, Artem's got a penalty. Two minutes for roughing. <laughs> And, you know, you just, you just move on, right? But uh, the good news is I got to be really good friends with Artem over the years because he spent a lot of time right next to me in the penalty box. <laughs> Do you think he took the penalty so that you could work on pronounce, pronouncing his name correctly? Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> no, we, uh, we used to call him the Mad Russian. He was, uh, he was uh, Quite a quite a character on the ice and off the ice and one of the nicest meekest guys you ever met on the ice you don't want to mess with him. I would have gave up. I would have just called him Artem Letters. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, the pronunciations with me all started in youth hockey. One of my son's uh, teammates' last name was Muchelknaus, and. You know, you look at it, and it's nowhere near that in terms of how you'd pronounce it. And uh, but I was one of the few people in the state of South Dakota that learned how to pronounce the name. So yeah, they're pretty happy about that. You know, from my time hanging out in press boxes, and I get to watch the all the prep work going into putting the ball game on. It just one of my biggest pet peeves is when teams do not provide a pronunciation guide. It just mm-hmm. seems to me it should just be a common courtesy. I would agree. <laughs> I have nothing to say. It, it happens all the time. <laughs> it, it happens, uh, you know, um, we, we, played, uh, we played Fargo in the opening game last, uh, for, the, for the Stampede, the opening home game last weekend. And they had a pretty nice pronunciation guide, and that's the first time I've ever seen one from Fargo. So after the, you know, seven, eight years of working for the Stampede, the first time Fargo's ever given me a pronunciation guide, I was pretty happy. Hmm. Do, do you get the same kind of involvement like in, in what's going on around the stadium with the Stampede that you, were, that you get to do with the Canaries, or is it more on the baseball side you get more involvement? I get significantly more involvement with the baseball side of things than I do with hockey. But uh, at the same time, I have a lot of, uh, you know, I've been doing hockey for a while, and I do get asked a lot of questions and and provide a lot of feedback and a lot of information. Um, It's a little interesting in that there's a lot of uh, shared staff between the two teams, even even to this day. Um, Kevin, when you were up at the ballpark, uh, the gentleman sitting right next to me was Chris Arns. Uh, he was the DJ for the Canaries. He's the uh, scoreboard operator for the Stampede. And <laughs> the gal sitting to my right is Christine Ellenbolt, and Christine was our producer for the Canaries. She's also the producer at the Premier Center and does Stampede and Storm Football and just a lot of events at the Premier Center. Um, when she's at the Premier Center, she is the person in charge. She's the one that's calling all the shots. And out at the ballpark, um, our roles reverse a little bit, and I'm I'm the one kind of calling everything, and she's the one that's uh, she works more with the video side of it than anything else. But it's just interesting dynamics, and you. Uh, the good news is we learn to uh, we, thank God we like each other. It'd be awful tough life if we didn't. But um, yeah, I, I just uh, we have we have such a good time in both, and but it's just it, they're different. They're completely different. Now I would be remiss if I didn't touch upon this uh, particular subject, but it's, um, it's no secret that it's been a tough draw for the Canaries the last um, X amount of years. Mm-hmm. But in the meanwhile, the Stampede, I believe uh, they still have the USHL attendance record. What do you yeah. see that the Stampede are doing to get fans in that you think could be brought over and tried to get fans into the ballpark, and is it just going to be a matter of eventually getting a new ballpark? 
I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, and it, because I have to rewind, you know, seven, eight years from when the Stampede used to play in the Sioux Falls Arena, which was really right next door to the Premier Center. Um, there were games that we were lucky in that uh, we had a 4,800-seat building, and we were lucky to be drawing 1,200 people at that point in time. Um, you know, we build the new arena. It becomes the, you know, it's a novelty for the first few years. But, you know, we set attendance records those first two years of, of uh, averaging almost 7,000 a game the first uh, first two seasons in the Premier Center. Um, I think that that will be, do a lot to help with the, uh, with the Canaries, but I also think there's a lot of, uh, of stuff that needs to happen with the sales team. You know, our, our Stampede sales team is, is incredibly strong, and they've got several people, and they have a goal of making X number of calls every day, and they have a, you know, they're out selling tickets all the time. They're giving some tickets away all the time, and I think the, you know, the Canaries might be able to learn a few things from uh, from how that how the Stampede organization actually um, operates in terms of ticket sales. I saw a video from the home opener on on a it was Friday or Saturday night. I forget which night it was, but yep. I looked and it's like wow, it was a really good crowd. Yeah, I think we had really, really close to 8,000. We had the entire lower bowl sold out, and the upper bowl was half open and probably half full. Um, that stadium, when full, holds 10,600, and we've sold. Usually we'll sell out three or four games a year. But uh, it's interesting. I mean, the, the Stampede just, they, they sell, and, and they, they have really great corporate sponsors, and they have some diehard fans. And I think a lot of the a, a lot of the difference, although as well with between the Stampede and the Canaries, you know the Canaries have 50 home games in 110 days, and the Stampede have 30 home games in seven months. And so it's a it's a little bit more of a rare ticket for the Stampede than it is for the Canaries. And also the when the Canaries are playing, it's a uh, the weather is more conducive to doing other things than being at the ballpark. And let's face it, yes. stampedes in the dead of winter. Of what what are you going to do outside? You want to come inside and watch some entertainment um, in the form of a very good hockey team. Yeah, absolutely. And you know the stampedes had a, a few years of not so great teams. But uh, this year's team's looking really good. I'm I'm really looking forward to what's going to happen on the ice this year for the Stampede. Now I got to bring this up because I was on the road on Saturday afternoon and we picked up a, a football broadcast um, from South Dakota State and a big victory for the Jack Rapids defeating the North Dakota State Bison. Yeah, now, that's something you don't hear very often. <laughs> Now, is, how does that work? Uh, how's the division of loyalties when it comes to South Dakota and then uh, South Dakota State? Well, um, I think in terms of fandom, uh, SCSU has a much greater draw and a much much more dedicated fan base than uh, University of South Dakota does. And I am not certain why, other than, um, you know, I, I believe – that South Dakota State up in Brookings is maybe a little bit larger school in terms of uh, student population. And I know it's a much more um, athletic school in terms of, you know, sports and things. But uh, I don't know. I, I you know, if, I, if you're talking to anybody on the street in, in uh, Sioux Falls on any given day, it's about um, maybe five SDSU fans to three USD fans. And then the other two are people from, you know, Nebraska or Iowa or somebody like that. Sure. Maybe have a night at the ballpark where you know, it's like um, rivalry night where you have SDSU fans on one side and South Dakota fans on the other and have them battle in all the in-game promotions. We've had uh, SDSU nights and USD nights uh, separate, um, but I think that's a great idea. Have, have these because sure, uh, you know we're all about competition, right? Well, of course, especially especially uh, with um, in between any promotions. I mean, come on, that's war. Absolutely. 
but but they would have to join. They'd have to join together to do the YMCA. I mean, we can't have any infighting during. The- <laughs> of course. And then, of course, you'll have to. You know, we'll have to get two separate groups singing uh, um, the uh, Neil Diamond song as well. So, <laughs> sweet, sweet Caroline. <laughs> You know, I, I don't think we ever hear about, you know, like certain coaches will hate opposing teams within a league or whatever, players, and, you know, it, do, do does the guy calling the game also have a, a heated uh, rival in, in the, either the USHL or the American Association that you just don't like that team at all? Um, you know, in the American Association, uh, it's it's pretty much a rivalry between us and Sioux City. I mean, it's always been a rivalry, and it's been that way in the uh, in hockey as well. Um, you know, there's there's the I-29 rivalry between us and Sioux City. But over the years with hockey, um, the kind of the hated rivalry has become us and Waterloo, Iowa. And uh, it, it, I don't, I'm not exactly sure why, but uh, when we play Waterloo, it, it can usually get to be um, a little angsty, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, our, uh, our, our players don't like Waterloo very much. Waterloo doesn't like our players very much. And the good news is we only see them about four times a year. Hmm. It, what could have anybody have bath? against Waterloo? I mean, Waterloo, and that just seems like such a quiet, peaceful town. <laughs> well, um, I, I have a story. Uh, Please. Um, this goes way back to the old days in the arena when I was a fan, and I wasn't, I wasn't doing announcing. I, w- I was literally just sitting in the stands one night, and I happened to get some seats behind the players' benches in the, uh, in the arena. And um, a couple of the team owners were sitting over there as well. And all of a sudden, P.K. O'Handley, who's the longtime coach of the Waterloo Blackhawks, um, he's now their general manager, he's not coaching anymore, but longtime coach, Stampede is winning the game, we're ahead six or seven goals to nothing, and O'Handley decides to pick a fight with the owners behind the bench, and I'm watching this thing come together, and he, he basically wants the guys to meet him out back after the game and for some fisticuffs. And I think that's oh, wow. kind of where the Waterloo, uh, you know, enemy kind of came from wow and i think for those that are listening that maybe are hockey fans but never got to experience the old two falls arena it was it was not originally meant to be a hockey arena so it had its quirks on the face-off circles that nearly went to the boards the mm-hmm. The broadcasters had to broadcast from the ends of the arena. It was a unique setup, but it was it was a cozy place, and it was a, definitely a home ice advantage for for the Stampede. Yeah, the uh, the ice was uh, fifteen feet short, uh, fifteen feet short in all directions, if I remember right. A really really small sheet of ice, and. Uh, yeah, um, if, if you were sitting anywhere but in the front row of the balcony or in the seats that are around the, around the glass, you were missing about a third of the ice. <laughs> and uh, it, was, it was tough. It was a tough place to play a game. It was a tough place to watch a game. And uh, I, thank, I thank the God every day that I got a chance to start working with the team and uh, got, you know, got my chops in. I started as an off-ice official with the Stampede, one of the goal judges, one of the penalty box operators, scorekeepers, and... Uh, you know, to this day, that's still one of my one of my passions is uh, being doing scorekeeping. I do that for men's league every Sunday night here in Sioux Falls. The off there was no off switch for Randy Preston. That's what I'm hearing. Constantly got <laughs> something correct. going on. <laughs> you're you're absolutely correct. <laughs> well, Randy, we want to thank you for joining us. But you know, it's it's you're you're new to the show here, so we got to tell you that it's custom for us to allow our guests to give us a final thought before heading out today. So whatever you'd like to talk about, the floor is yours. Well, certainly. Well, I'd like to tell uh, anybody who's listening to the show um, to get out and support your local sports teams, whatever that happens to be, whatever, however that, uh, you know, imagines itself. Um, amateur sports, pro sports, uh, minor league sports, in any sh- way, shape, or form, 
it's the best entertainment dollar you can spend in your local community, and you're supporting a whole bunch of local business. And uh, believe it or not, it, uh, it really helps the local economy, and it helps the, helps the local morale as well. So here in Sioux Falls, you know, support the Stampede, support the Storm, the Sky Force, uh, the Canaries, and even the uh, high school and college teams here locally, just get out and do what you can to support local sports because uh, it's, an important, uh, it's an important piece of the uh, local community. Fantastic. Randy Preston, thanks for joining us this week. Thanks for doing this. Thanks, Rob. Thanks. You guys have a great time, okay? Well, Kevin, that was really interesting having Randy on here today and getting a, kind of a different perspective than we've had on the show before. I was really happy to have him on the show. I'm glad I thought of it uh, all of a sudden when we were looking for a Sioux Falls theme to the show. So I'm glad uh, everything worked out with it. And like I said, Randy and the the gang in Sioux Falls have they've always made me feel welcome whenever I've come out there. And it's for me, it's one of the easier trips I can take. So it's it's it just it just reminds me of the. The, the ballpark kind of reminds me of the Midway Stadium, and it just, it's just one of those um, comfort places for a guy to go to. Yeah, it's not the fanciest place around, and, and it's, frankly, it's, it is definitely time for a new ballpark, but, you know, what they have going there now, it's, they make the best of what they've got to work with, and, like I said, a good crew, good people, and it's always fun to make that trip out to, South Dakota. You know, and it's it's time to start kind of as we're going through these each week to talk about the challenges that a team had. Uh, you know, I, you know, we, as a fan, it can be very difficult to go out and watch your team when they're struggling. You talked about the 11-game homestand where they won one game during that stretch, and that's, you know, difficult to watch as a fan. Trying to get the crowd hyped up that, out there each night when you know your team's not doing particularly well. That's a real challenge as well, and, and uh, you know, Randy's doing a great job out there with John and the other guys who are involved in that team because they want to make sure fans are having a great experience even if the play on the field isn't exactly what fans are hoping for. But they're out there, you know, doing their job and keeping things exciting, and that's what minor league baseball is all about, Kevin. You hope at the end of the night if the result on the field wasn't what you're looking for when you went out there that there was something, a skit, a joke, uh something that went on in the game that um, leaves you with a nice memory when you come home and it makes you want to come back out to the ballpark again. Absolutely. So we'll hope that will continue that way too. You know, uh, and we hope that they get that new stadium out there. Uh, it, you know, it's kind of in the discussion. It sounds like everybody's talking about that this is going to be an inevitable outcome. Um, so now I guess we're just waiting for that to actually come to fruition out there. So, but, I, you know, you know, hats off to Mike Myers and a great job of that team managing them. I, I just kind of wonder at this point, Kevin, about how good this club is going to be until they can get out of that stadium because that's just a tough park to pitch in. As it gets even tougher, too. You know, with every team that comes in the league with a new ballpark, that's just yet another team you have to try to recruit against to get ballplayers to play for your ball club. And it's Obviously, with every new team that comes in, it gets tougher and tougher for someone like Mike Meyer that have has limited um, assets to work with uh, with the ballpark to get these guys to come out and play for them. Because well, I mean, let's face it, these these players are in their you know a lot of them are in their early to mid twenties, and they still get impressed by new shiny things and. And when you can't offer that, it's it's a tough it's a tough recruiting job. Yeah, especially considering you could play at a brand new ballpark out there in Oconomowoc now with Lake Country having a fantastic new park. Milwaukee is still a great place to play. So is Cleveland, Kansas City. You know, you have kind of this mystique around it with uh, the Monarchs becoming the team name and Fargo always a great place to play. Same with Winnipeg. You always know that they're going to be competitive and you have big crowds that come out there. Now you have Kane County. Um, kind of, you know, not a new ballpark, Kevin, but clearly a first-class organization that's doing everything the right way. You know, when you look across there in Chicago and Gary with new ball, you know, kind of fixed up their ballpark, and 
everybody's kind of doing something new out there to, to make things. It's putting Sioux Falls and Sioux City in a very tough spot out there to compete against that. And um, it just makes you wonder if, if Mike is able to get something going here because 10, ten ballparks are going against him right now. You know, just okay, well, talking, well, go ahead. I'm sorry. It, it just kind of hits you, too. Yeah, it's a very tough situation. You're absolutely right. Well, Kevin, as we're talking about this, let's look back a little bit at Sioux Falls this season. Uh, a team that really never got off on the right foot this year, struggled out. It looked like they had a pitching staff that was going to be able to bolster this club up and keep them in games. That did not come to fruition. They really struggled through this year. The, the, the big highlight, I guess, for them, if you look at it, is Wyatt Ulrich getting his contract purchased. Well-deserving opportunity for him. Yes, it was, and he's a the guy is definitely an underdog. He wasn't a, obviously a, a guy that was a high draft pick by a major league ball club and a hot prospect. He he had to come in and prove himself, and that's exactly what he did, and it warranted a shot with the Padres organization. Mike made a couple of nice moves with this club this year, brought in Aaron Takis when Andrew Ventura was struggling for them. Takis was a great asset to this lineup. Unfortunately, made a deal with Kansas City that did not work out as uh, um, their acquisition did not decide to come to Sioux Sioux Falls. So uh, that could have been a situation to help the club out there. John Nestor did a great job coming and helping out with the pitching staff and playing well behind the plate, battle a little bit of injuries for himself. He had a great season out of Jabari Henry with 29 homers to tie a club record. Uh, Nick Gatta had a fantastic year. You have have some guys out there that that really did well. I I guess the question we're looking at, Kevin, is is that can this team succeed and, and come up with a pitching that's necessary to wind up keeping them to their giving up no more than four, four and a half runs a game so they can wind up winning contests. Yeah, and let's not forget the contributions of Ozzy Martinez and Gavin LaValle, too, on the offensive side. But as you mentioned, the downfall for this team, and it just seems to be a pattern, was the pitching staff just couldn't get it going this year. I think one thing you take away out of this season uh, that Mike did a great job with it was this bullpen was, was solid. Ryan Farrell came in and did a great job closing out games for them. Finished with an ERA under two, and that's not easy to do because one bad night in, in the birdcage, and all of a sudden your ERA is nine, you know, kind of thing. Dunaway was great for them. He had an ERA near 2.3. Um, Garko pitched very well for them out of their bullpen. Charlie Hasty was very good. Um, Mitchell Walters pitched very well for them. They got some good quality relief for them this year. And, and, I, and I think that has been something you and I have looked over the last few years that's been the Achilles heel of this team. That you, you just did not know who was going to come in and wind up shutting the door. And it looked like they got that this year. Now the question is, can they get four guys to come in here and, and pitch well enough in the starting rotation where they're going to give up three runs in five innings and turn that over to that bullpen and get the outings they need? That was the tough part, too, was uh, getting I mean, even getting good, five good innings to get to the bullpen was a chore for this club, and that'll be the challenge for Mike Meyer going into this offseason again. Maybe one of those arms that had success in the bullpen would um, entertain a switch to uh, the rotation, much like we saw in St. Paul with Mike Devine in the 2020 season win. He became one of the best, went from one of the best bullpen arms in the league to being the pitcher of the year in 2020, which we all recognize as the year of the pitcher. So maybe it's uh, with them. Maybe it's one of the guys that he had this year who says, "Hey, you know what? Let me let me take a shot at starting and see what we can do for the ball club." And obviously, it could be a case too of just finding that minor league free agent and having success and bringing in a few guys that develop into solid starters. I think the most important thing for this club right now is it looks like Mike Meyer will be back for next season. That's good news for them. They, they need some consistency in this club and to be able to 
have a guy they can count on to bring to bring this club to another level. And and I think Mike is that guy to wind up doing it here. Uh, I'm I'm expecting this year, Kevin. We might actually get to see this huge number of minor leaguers that finally wind up becoming available out of affiliate ball to independent leagues. Uh, I guess the question now is, I, I think something that you and I have not really touched on is that there's been a lot more independent teams than we've seen uh, three and four years ago. Not even have this Pioneer League out there that, that's sponsored by Major League Baseball, but you know, 14 teams in the Pecos League and 14 teams in the uh, Frontier League, and I think you're at 12 now in the Atlantic League. I mean, that's a lot of, of, of teams out there that are looking for guys as well. And so the question, I guess, is if you can count on, even if there are a large number of minor league guys that are available, if you can count on getting any of them with such stiff competition out there. First of all, let's just eliminate one league. If a guy, okay. <laughs> My apologies. If a guy is picking a Pecos League over pitching in the American Association, he's probably doesn't have the acumen to be a professional baseball player. I'm sorry. Uh, keep in mind the Pecos League makes a deal, makes a big deal out of getting guys moved up to the American Association. Yes, so you're right. You're right. I can't see anyone aiming to be a Pecos League player. It's just, yeah, it just does not make sense. But anyways, uh, you do make a point, though. There are um, a lot of options out there for for guys that have been cut from major league organizations and even for guys that have gone undrafted. Keep in mind, every year, teams seem to find a gem here and there that slipped through the slipped through the cracks of major league organizations and have gone on to show what they've got in the American Association and gotten a second chance. Absolutely. You're spot on with that. So it's going to be interesting to see what Sioux Falls can wind up doing here. And, and you know, you hate to pin the hopes of a club on an intangible like a new ballpark finally coming around when you don't even know when that will happen or if it will actually happen. But, uh, I, you know, I think both of us agree is that it's going to be very tough to have, even if you come up with one successful season, it's going to be hard to get that kind of sustained success in that ballpark for a while here. A lot of good pitchers are going to say, well, I'm not willing to have a 5.1 ERA even if I'm going to go 10-3 and three here because, I, you know, I don't want to put my my career at risk and I don't want to put my arm at risk. You know, you, you know you're going to be pitching, throwing extra pitches every game, to try to get out of tough innings, you know, what uh, what would be a, a lazy fly ball in left field in some ballpark becomes a three-run homer in Sioux Falls. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's a tough thing out there. And that's why I tip my hat to Mike Meyer that he's able to get guys like Ty Colbert to come there because it just goes to show they know he's the he's the guy. He's the real deal. So um, glad to see he'll be back. And Mike Meyer is still a personal favorite of here on the show with Kevin. So we like to see that uh, – He'll continue in that job, it looks like. So, I think, my too, maybe it's just going to take a special core of players coming together where, let's say you get a team that on paper doesn't really seem all that special, but everything just comes together and they just have a very successful career and think, well, hey, let's, let's, let's keep this core together for a few years and let's see what we can do. I think that's going to be the quickest route to any sustained success for a team that's battling the, let's face it, the, the small market itis um, situation that um, Sioux Falls has with um, the restraints of their playing facilities. Well put. Well, let's quickly go around the rest of the league here, Kevin. Uh, only major transaction this week is that the Cleveland Railroaders uh, exercised their contract options on a bunch of their players. Standard practice for fans out there that are new to the show, teams will offer, to, they exercise the contract so they ensure that that player is still within their rights. That doesn't mean that guy will be returning to them next year. They could still move them at some point, but the player could not sign with another American Association team in the meantime. The biggest of those, I think, as you, as you look at this, Kevin, is, is Nick Gardewine, uh, who 
in our opinion, I think, you know, we kind of agreed he, he could have been the, the top closer in the league this last year. So if he's returning to this year, team next year, you got to feel pretty good about their bullpen for next season. That's a one key role already filled. If you get Gardenwine back for another season, we've seen we've seen teams where their um, downfall has been a lack of a solid closer. But boy, if you have, if you go into early May already knowing who your guy's going to be there, that's just uh, one less headache for the manager. My personal favorite that they exercise the contract on because it's just kind of funny to see this because he's decided to sort of semi-retire the last few years is Jesus Sanchez. So he might be uh, giving another shot with the club again next year, Kevin, because we know that's a personal favorite for you to hear Brad call. Yeah, the king of the king of the cameo, apparently. He just <laughs> pops up whenever he feels like um, throwing some innings, I guess. <laughs> so that'd be pretty exciting. Uh we didn't forget to mention last week the Savannah Bananas, who had a couple of big games last season with Kansas City before the season began, a couple of preseason things. Uh, interesting club traveling around the country. They're going to have two teams in the American Association they are going to be playing this year, Kevin. They'll be making a return trip to Kansas City during the Monarchs training camp. So there'll be a couple nights, uh, I believe May 5th and 6th, it will be in Kansas City playing against the Monarchs or or um, assorted uh, local men's teams that will be wearing Monarchs jerseys and won't be all Monarchs players all the time. But there'll be another couple of uh, full houses there at Legends Field, just like it was last season when the Bananas came in. Boy, it'd be nice to convert some of those fans over to being Monarchs fans, and I think that's probably the goal of um, putting on a show like that and getting fans out to the ballpark and getting getting them thinking Kansas City Monarchs baseball. The 5th and 6th of May, they will be taking on Kansas City at Legends Field, and you can actually go out there and start looking into buying tickets right now, or at least get on the list to purchase tickets um, if you buy going out to the Savannah Bananas, the, the SavannahBananas.com, I should say, to go and get tickets. So go out there and check it out. Because if nothing else, boy, make sure you wear some sunglasses and uh, enjoy those uniforms. Because you can actually purchase them online too. So uh, fun stuff out there for sure. Let's see what else we got here, Kevin. Okay, so that handled that. So let's then talk about stuff around the rest of independent baseball out there. Well, let's not uh, they're also headed to Milwaukee in September. Oh, well, let me go get to pull that up here, too. You are right. Uh, my apologies for not including that. So September. Um, let me get the some dates for those here, too. Let's see. So Milwaukee, uh, the 8th and 9th of September. You can, once again, get on the list to go and purchase tickets. I'm interested to see how that winds up working out. And Milwaukee's in the playoffs at that point, Kevin. But, uh, I, you know. I, I've been told that if Milwaukee is in the playoffs, that there will be no Milkman players involved with, the with the bananas game It'll, you know milwaukee's got a pretty strong amateur baseball league and i believe they will pull a lot of players out of that to suit up and play against the bananas my question would be if the game is on a night where milwaukee would be hosting a playoff game i'm curious as to what they will do there if they will push the game back a day or if they will maybe have the bananas game during the afternoon and make it a doubleheader and do like a day-night doubleheader. Bananas will play at noon and then the milkmen will play at 6 o'clock. So I guess we'll tackle that problem, I guess, um, when it gets to it. But um, there is a potential conflict looming there. But I'm sure the fans of Milwaukee will come out in droves too to watch the Watch some banana ball. Well, you know, I'm just thinking, Kevin, that uh, if the milkmen are in the playoffs, you and I might be able to fill in on that milkman team on the 8th and ninth. How about that? Kevin Luco and Rob Panier. Oh, boy. <laughs> There's a lot of men as a team, at least, or third base coach or something. We'll figure it out. So we'll, we'll get in there. Well, let's talk a little bit about what's going on around the rest of independent baseball out there. And uh, uh, 
Atlantic League super excited to announce that the Long Island Ducks uh, had the highest attendance of all independent teams out there, uh, finishing with 285,888 fans in 63 games, an average of 4,538. That's kind of a misleading stat out there because they had 14 more home games than Kane County, who finished with just 37... 30, yeah, 37,000 fewer fans. So King County actually drew 5,068 fans per game, which was the highest of any independent team out there pretty much by far. I mean, that was uh, 800 or 500 more per game than what Long Island was producing and more than 1,500, over, uh, more than 1,000, I guess, over the next one, which was Chicago was averaging 4,000. So, um we should we should pat Kane County on the back out there for being the best attendance in terms of average fans per game among independent baseball teams out there because everybody knows the American Association is best in everything, Kevin. It, that's for sure. And give the fans of Kane County a lot of credit, too, because they were cast aside, rejected by the minor league baseball. I, they had the Class A baseball, Midwest League. They had their fair guys that played there and then ended up in the majors. And that was, I imagine that was quite a blow when they didn't make the cut for the reorganization of the minor leagues. But they joined the American Association, and the fans have um, taken to it. And in some instances, I think they've enjoyed American Association even more than they enjoyed being in the Midwest League. So uh, hats off to the fans of Kane County who just keep coming out in droves to support the Cougars. Well, so they had a 40% increase over 2021. Now, I understand the start of the season had limitations on how many fans could be in the ballpark, but Kane County had 177,705 in 2021, drew 71,000 more this last season out there. And that's just a fantastic tribute to, to this club and to the great job that George Samus and the entire organization is doing out there to, to get fans in and present a, an exciting exciting uh, club out there. So congratulations to them being the top independent team in terms of average fans per game. So you go out there, Kane County. That's what we like to see. Nothing exciting going on in the Frontier League right now. They did uh, announce, I don't think we talked about this last week, that Chad Rhodes would be coming as the manager for Florence this year. Um, so that's the one deal that they have out there. And I think that is really all that is going on in independent baseball right now, Kevin, is we're approaching uh, about a month away from Thanksgiving. And it's usually around that time that we'll start to see Rick Forney come up with something, uh, some big move to take us into the holiday season. And then, uh, then you and I get a few weeks before we start to see January roll around and, things start to really liven up. So what that's all we got, Kevin, I guess. Maybe we need to have like a figure out who we could have and have like one specific person on for the Thanksgiving show like we do with Christmas and Brad Allred. I think that's a good idea. We have to figure out how the how to uh who who becomes the Thanksgiving turkey surprise for us each year. Something there that we'll come up with. Well, Kevin, uh, since we're done with the, what's going on in independent baseball, why don't you take us out with a final thought? Uh, final thought? You know, um, gosh, I'm kind of stumped on this because I, I want to just basically talk more about what we talked about last week about how uh, we're getting into the middle of hockey season once again and I did a trip down to Des Moines, Iowa on Friday night. And what's really amazing is that on a night where high school football is king, the Iowa Wild drew 8,000 fans for their home opener on Friday night in downtown Des Moines against the San Jose Barracuda. And I, you know, I guess that could be a lesson for minor league baseball teams too that you know there's every team's got their own set of of obstacles that you gotta that you encounter every season whether it be a concert going on in town on the same night you're playing or uh 
or a fair or carnival going on or some other event. But, you know, if you if you establish a good reputation within your community, do all the right things, get out, get your name out there, do the right marketing, you can overcome anything to get um, consistent good um, fan showing to your ball games. You know, Kevin, that's a good point, too. And let's keep in mind that Iowa was one of just two teams in that division who did not make the playoffs last season. There'd be a lot of reason for fans to be kind of down on the organization, but, you know, came out there in droves, 8,640, I believe, was the attendance on opening night. And that's a great crowd. And that's a fantastic crowd out there. So um, it's a tribute to the organization for drawing people in. And so there is a way to get out there and get fans interested in, in coming out to games. And look at the Iowa Wild model, I think, right now is what you're talking about. So great final thought, Kevin. Liked it a lot. Well, we once again want to thank Randy Preston for joining us this week. Next week we will continue on with our series looking at the Lake Country Dockhounds next week. So uh, for Kevin Luco, I'm Rob Panier. We will see you next time on This Week in the Association.